0: Thoughts from the Hairy Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 64 of Thoughts from the Hairy Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about presidential powers. So here we are in post-debate recovery mode. Going to get into that here in just a few minutes. But before I hit the main topic of this week, I wanted to mention that I have a new ebook that is available for download. It is the Bargain Basement Price of Free. And it covers the basics of nullification and how we can use nullification to rein in and limit federal power through uh, this state action. So, if you're interested in nullification, it's not a long book. It kind of gives you the quick overview. And if you're interested in this subject and you want to know, hey, how in the world can we ever limit this federal behemoth we have, head over to my website and download the free ebook. I will put a link on the show notes page so you can find it really easily. and uh, i'm I'm pretty happy with this. It's like I said, a quick overview. It'll give you a taste of nullification, the basic history and how it can be used today. So check it out. So yes, I did torture myself and watch the debate. I didn't really do it on purpose. It was for work. Uh, Michael Bolden and I actually did our 10th or Tuesday video on a uh, kind of a post-debate analysis. We did it through a constitutional perspective, which is certainly not something you're going to get in your mainstream media. That's for sure. So, kind of a unique look at the debate. So, I'll put a link to that up as well, so you can watch that video and and see how we analyzed it on the morning after. But really, it was just pure misery. I posted a picture on my Facebook page that kind of sums it up. It's a guy sticking a blender in his eyeball. That's how I felt. I'm just not into this whole presidential politics thing, but. I think it is important, and it does, it tells us a lot, not really about these two people, it's all contrived, but it does tell us a lot about kind of where we are in America as a polity, as a political society, and it's not good at all. The first thing that I noticed as I was watching the debate, and this was about 30 minutes in, they're talking about tax plans and economic plans and this plan and that plan and it occurred to me you know not anything that they've mentioned so far is a constitutional role of the president like they're mentioning all these things that they're gonna they're gonna do we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and and that's what americans are demanding they want to know what are you gonna do and so they're gonna they're telling us what they're gonna do none of this doing is authorized by the Constitution. The fact of the matter is the president is really supposed to do very little. The president has a few specific roles relating to foreign policy, but mostly the president's job is to execute the laws that Congress passes. So when you start talking about tax policies and trade policies and all of these types of things, these are congressional roles. Lawmakers are supposed to be making the laws, not the president. So. From the very beginning, we have a very confused view of how the American political system is supposed to work, and that really came out in this debate. Like I said, almost everything that they mentioned was not authorized for the president. They don't have the power to do all of these things legitimately. Of course, they've usurped power and they do whatever they want, but the fact of the matter is, in our constitutional system, the president is not supposed to be doing all of this stuff. So, what exactly is the president supposed to do? What is the role of the president in the American system? Well, the Constitution delegates a few specific powers and responsibilities, like I said. Uh, These are the powers of appointment, the powers to make treaties with the advice and consent of Congress. Uh, The president has some veto power and things like that. These things are clear and unambiguous. But this question remains. When you look at the Constitution, it vests executive power in the president. Does this term executive power imply additional authority, additional powers that aren't specified within the Article 2? Now, many modern legal scholars claim that this is the case. They say that this clause grants broad, unspecified executive authority to the president. They point to differences in wording between the vesting clause for Congress in Article 1 and the clause in Article 2 for the president to make this case. But it really doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up if you look at the legal construction of the Constitution. And I'm not going to get into that now. I'll link to an article that talks about that. But it doesn't hold up when you think about how the founding generation viewed power, political power. They didn't want it all held in one place. They didn't want one person to wield a whole bunch of power. St. George Tucker wrote the first systematic commentary on the Constitution of the United States. It's called View of the Constitution of the United States. And he talked about executive powers. He didn't even really want to talk about power. He actually put it in terms of duties. This is what he wrote. The powers, or more properly, the duties of the President of the United States are various and extensive, though happily abridged of many others, which are considered as inseparable from the executive authority in monarchies. Of these last, we have had frequent occasion to notice such As are transferred by the Constitution to the Congress of the United States and of those which are assigned to the President. In other words, when you looked at kings, when you looked at monarchies, the President or the King had vast authority, vast executive authority. But in the constitutional system of the United States, this authority was vested in Congress. Congress was meant to be the most powerful branch of the federal government, not the president. In fact, they didn't want the president to have a whole lot of power. Now, Tucker goes on and he lists the duties specifically delegated in Article 2, Section 2, and 3, and he offers absolutely no hint that there are any additional broadly defined executive powers. Within the constitutional structure, the president lacks any authority whatsoever to issue edicts, write rules and regulations, or legislate in any manner. It's just not there. In an essay known as Helvidius No. 1, James Madison clearly states that the president's power extends only to putting existing laws into effect. Madison wrote, The natural province of the executive magistrate is to execute laws, as that of the legislature is to make laws. All his acts, therefore, properly executive, must presuppose the existence of the laws to be executed. It's really simple. The president is only intended to execute the laws that Congress passes. The president is not supposed to be the policymaker or the lawmaker. The founding generation would be absolutely shocked at the amount of power the president of the United States have today. This is exactly what they tried to avoid. The British colonial governors ruled with this kind of power. The founding generation would have none of it. As the people of the states began to draft their own constitutions in 1776, they placed very little power in their executive branches. In his book, Creation of the American Republic, historian Gordon S. Wood put it this way. The Americans, in short, made of the gubernatorial magistrate a new kind of creature, a very pale reflection indeed of his regal ancestor. The change in the governor's position meant the effectual elimination of the magistracy's major responsibility for ruling the society, a remarkable and abrupt departure from the English constitutional tradition. Americans feared the arbitrary power They so often saw exerted by these magistrates, these governors in the past. And as Wood put it, only a radical destruction of the kind of magisterial authority could prevent the resurgence of arbitrary power in their land. But sadly, we've embraced just that kind of power. Basically today, Americans are arguing over whether Donald Trump should be the king or Hillary Clinton should be their queen. This is dangerous and ridiculous. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening to the show. If you enjoy it, please do me a favor and spread the word. And feel free to send me any thoughts or suggestions to michael.meharry at 10th Amendment Center.com. And if you haven't done it already, head over to iTunes and subscribe for free. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.